Hello and welcome to our podcast in the series entitled The Intricate Art of Leadership, where we ask insightful leaders to talk through their views and successes on many fundamental issues that leaders are expected to perform. Today, we are looking at what makes an awesome coach, and to research this topic, I asked a few people what they thought coaching was all about. I define coaching as guided self-discovery. A coach's role is not to fix people or have them prescribed to a certain methodology, but it's rather to serve as a beacon of light. Is to provide support to a less experienced colleague to aid the learning and development. This is an informal method of development and requires the coach and the coachee to build a positive professional relationship. Helping people and teams be the best that they can be by helping them improve in every aspect of what they do so that they uh, become better and better. Using your own knowledge and experience to help someone else gain a new skill or improve existing skills. I'm here with Jonathan Smith, Managing Director of Crefimiento, a leadership and sales development organization who has significant experience in the art of coaching. So, Jonathan, we are going to talk about your unique approach to coaching, but first, I wondered what your personal experience of being coach was like. Well, the interviews that you recorded by way of research there, I think, are really significant because don't they highlight the challenges that every leader is up against? Because there are so many definitions of what coaching is all about. Um, and an even greater uh, diversity of coaching style that people have experienced um, with both negative and positive results. And my experiences are actually no different to uh, any of them. I remember times when my manager would come to me and say, John, I'm going to observe you tomorrow for a coaching session. And I remember that my heart immediately sank and I was filled with this sense of dread and despondency almost. And I remember thinking, well, why, why is this? And the reason is because I knew that I was going to be criticised for things that this coach thought that I should do differently. Things, generally speaking, that he said he would do in that situation or had done when he was in my role. And I was acutely aware of the fact that I was just not him. I was a very different person to him. I had different values. I had a different personality. And I thought in a very different way to him. Um, so why, why did he persist in trying to make me into a, a mini-me? And why did he make me feel so bad about myself for being who I am? The whole experience always tended to shake my self-confidence to the core. And if I'm honest, the word coaching was a word that I actually came to fear. But then when I went to football training and I played a lot of football, um, it was a very different matter altogether because the coach there was full of encouragement, always appreciating the effort that I put in, um, both during drills, in training, and also in matches. And he would, generally speaking, encourage me uh, when things were not going so well, sort of indicating that he believed in my ability to perform better. 
And he would frequently pull me to one side when the team had gone uh, back onto the pitch at half time um, and suggest things that I might like to try, something a bit different, and see how it went, see if I got a better result as a consequence. So I guess what this kind of taught me was that there are different ways to coach that stimulate different reactions in people. Interesting. So um, are football managers better than corporate managers when it comes to coaching? Well, that's a difficult question to start me off with. But let's just say it's all around role definition. You see, at the start of the 2018-19 season in football, there were six Premier League football clubs that had at their helm a head coach. They were at uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, Fulham, Huddersfield, Watford and Wolves. And the other 14 clubs referred to their man in charge as the manager. And I asked myself, is this the same role or do these leaders actually hold different responsibilities? And this is what I found. I found that the former Chelsea head coach, Antonio Conte, was reportedly disenchanted with the fact that he had such little control over the transfer of players into and out of the club. And he frequently said that this responsibility, which was the role of the director of football, uh, hampered his ability to be a coach. The reason being that it was felt that the, the coach should be focused purely on developing the individuals in the team to improve their performance uh, and implement the winning strategy. Conte actually came out quite high in the rankings by a Spanish group that created a coach reputation ranking system and it analysed 100 variables from 10 categories of coaching. Uh, in it included uh, things like experience, number of trophies won, their win percentage, leadership qualities and their reputation. Now, their research actually produced some really interesting results, including two coaches in the top 20 that hadn't actually won a thing. In fact, winning and getting results is not as important as you may think in the role of a coach. For example, World Cup winning coach uh, Didier Deschamps of France didn't even make the top 10 coaches. Uh, he sat at number 13 in their rankings, only two places higher than that of our own, Gareth Southgate of uh, England. So winning consistently um, with the same group of people seems to be the key in uh, this ranking system. And that's why people like uh, Pep Guardiola of Barcelona, Bayern Munich, now Manchester City, uh, seem to come out on top because he won with all of those different clubs. It's interesting as well that Jurgen Klopp of Liverpool, who was ranked at number four, um, returned vastly different results to Pep, though still made that top ten spot. So Pep scored consistently above average in all categories. Jurgen scored higher in most categories, except his social media presence which was actually non-existent, scored a zero. So what does that mean? Well, that basically means that for him, although a charismatic character in front of the cameras, it's not about any personal publicity for him. His focus is entirely on improving team performance. When it's not about the character of the coach, it becomes about the individual that's being coached and their performance in particular. And this was brought out quite emphatically 
by his decision, Jurgen Klopp's decision, not to allow Amazon Prime Video cameras into uh, the training pitch uh, or uh, to have a fly-in-the-wall documentary like uh, Pep Guardiola did at uh, Manchester City. But in saying that, what was really interesting about the uh, Guardiola uh, fly-in-the-wall documentary was to see Pep in action. And what he did with his leadership style was uh, that he would coach people on a one-to-one -one basis. Uh, he outscored Jürgen in uh, leadership qualities. And I think that that came through in this documentary. His personable style was to pull a player to one side and have a quiet conversation with them rather than to shout publicly, shaming individuals, throwing cups of tea in front of the whole team. Now, both leaders saw motivation, though, as uh, the key and significant part of improving an individual in their team. How does all this translate into the workplace of most of the people listening today? Well, I think the role of a modern leader is to perform so many different tasks. And this could be the same in your place of work. If you're a leader, your time may be taken away from day-to-day -day performance and improvement of the team in favour of designing what strategy to adopt over the next few years, for example. And the players in your team need a coach to help them improve and develop their skills and their knowledge to perform on a day-to-day -day basis. There are so many organisations that talk about um, introducing this coaching culture, which is great, but I've seen how difficult it can be for managers to juggle this task in addition to the myriad of other things that they hold. And subsequently, the tasks that are both urgent and important seem to take priority, leaving coaching as a nice thing to do if I have the time. So in turn, what this means is that performance improvement is difficult as it's left to the employee to almost fathom out how they can improve without any help or assistance from uh, a coach. What's the answer to the predicament then? How should organisation overcome this problem? Well look, I've seen organisations introduce a concept known as uh, everyday coaching for improvement. The idea behind that is that coaching needs not to be an informal long-winded event but can be achieved during an informal chat by the water cooler or over a cup of coffee in a matter of minutes. The um, impact of these conversations is often a, a boost of motivation or an idea here and there to help improve the individual's performance but for a change in behaviour or an increase in productivity over a longer period of time for an individual, the employee invariably needs a little bit more help uh, and that is where the role of a coach observing the individual comes in. Okay, so what expectations should be placed on the role of a coach in an organisation? Well, as a coach you can't complain that you didn't recruit a particular person and therefore you can't improve them as we saw with Antonio Conte at Chelsea. I mean, everyone employed it in an organisation deserves the benefits that good coaching enables them uh, to help them improve their performance. But bear in mind that an improvement is actually a relative thing. I mean, for example, a 10% improvement 
in every individual that you have in your team doesn't necessarily mean that they are now all operating at the same level of competence. So I suppose what I'm saying is that the role of a good coach in an organisation should be seen as an individual who helps the improvement in the performance of an individual, not necessarily to ensure their competence. If that's the case, what do you need to be a good or successful coach? Well, that's a great question. And we at Crethiamento believe that there are four elements that an individual needs in order to be a great coach. Firstly, you have to be some form of visionary. You have to be able to uh, envisage the full potential of the individual that you're working with. Thinking in terms of how might they be capable if only you could harness their skill or their knowledge or their attitude in the right direction. The second thing is to create the right conditions for that person to learn. And we tend to learn when we can experiment with new ideas or skills. Now the problem here is if you feel that you're going to be reprimanded for mistakes by getting things wrong, our potential to improve and achieve the things that we need to achieve will be held back because of the fear. So creating an environment of safety wherein we can learn is a key skill that you'll need to develop. Now the third thing is looking at how you'll motivate the individual, particularly those who have a reluctance to try something different or to change what they're doing. We need to be able to find what the individual is doing well, because we need to ensure that they continue doing this whilst the change of the other things is uh, occurring. And so praising them for the effort that they are putting into the role is a key element of a good coach. How we motivate them will very much depend on their personality. So developing the skill of understanding their social style or their personality trait is a third attribute of a great coach. And the final one, which we believe, is the um, ability to identify what the individual needs to focus on uh, when developing or improving their personal performance. So this is what goes into the designing of a personal development program. I mean, in sports, this may involve changes in diet, in uh, visualization techniques or uh, a physical training regime. But in business, uh, individuals need a training program that may include uh, workshops, formal observations or practice on the job. So your skill as a coach here is predominantly to identify the changes needed and problem solve them through the development of a personal development plan. How do your coaches at Crecimiento coach people in the organization? Yeah, that's a pretty good question, actually. Um, and I, I suppose one of the biggest challenges that we've come across here at Crecimiento is uh, that of uh, consistency across the board with coaches. So how do you ensure that all coaches observe and coach in the same way as each other and therefore are pretty interchangeable? And it doesn't matter what coach that you have to come and observe you, you get similar feedback. I mean, how do you make sure that all coaches provide uh, a similar standard of feedback as well and uh, support the individual appropriately? So we set about uh, overcoming this challenge of consistency by designing some 
guidelines to support the coaches and keep their observations objective rather than allowing them to become subjective. Now, what we found was that there was a huge benefit in using these guidelines because our coaches didn't seem to approach the task of coaching with any bias or any personal interest. And the guidelines that you created, what are they? So, yeah, when our coaches observe your people, um, basically they're looking at three areas of communication. Um, and we split those into a series of observable behaviours. The, um, the coach can then record the number of times each behaviour is observed and we can then analyse the results, mapping them against sort of ideal uh, volumes. Are they structured in their approach to the conversation, outlining a purpose for the meeting, for example? Um, and do they give the other individual an indication of whether there is a collaborative conversation or, or simply a one-way dialogue? It's the ideals that then set the target for the individual, you see, and uh, form a basis of their personal development plan going forwards. So when we observe with a, a view to coaching an individual, we look first at uh, initiating behaviours. And, and these cover things like how the individual opens the conversation or meeting. In the conversation, do they propose new ideas? Do they build on thoughts of the other person um, in order to move the conversation along in uh, or change direction even? Sounds reasonable. What's the second group? Yeah, well, the bulk of most meetings that our coaches observe actually falls into the second group. Um, and it's a display of what we refer to as clarifying behaviours. Now, the data that this gives us is a clear indication of how the meeting progresses. So, for example, is there more information that's being given than that being sought by the person we're coaching? If that's the case, this can become less of a conversation and perhaps more of a presentation. If it's the other way around, more information being sought than that being given... Uh, it would tend to indicate a genuine attempt to discover information from the other person. Um, but does the person being observed then use that information wisely, driving down um, further into the issue with deeper, more far-reaching questions, um, and get to the root cause of the issue? So how is the topic then left? Does the person summarise so that there's no discrepancies in understanding, or simply say, uh-huh, and uh, move on? So that category is where you record most of the behaviours in the conversation. What's the last area? Well, now, throughout any interaction between two people, there's always going to be reacting behaviours that can really impact the relationship between the people involved. And I suppose the most interesting of which um, is the one we call supporting. This is where someone makes a comment that you agree with and you voice your approval of what they say. So too many people, we found, um, believe that they're actually making supportive comments. Well, at least that was their intent. But in reality, what we tend to find is that uh, it's received somewhat ambiguously. So, for example, um, I once observed an individual that was in a group uh, ideas meeting, um, and the ideas from one person were flowing well. The individual I was helping um, reacted by saying things like, um, yes, but uh, instead of that detail, what we can do is this. Now, while she believed that she was being really supportive and, 
agreeing with the ideas from that creative individual, the interpretation of her behaviour was actually something very different. You see, I watched the reaction of that ideas person and they became more and more frustrated as the meeting wore on, to the point that they actually started to withdraw from the conversation. And their ideas then stopped altogether. Now, why was that? Well, it was because they understood the response that they were getting from my coachee as some form of criticism. Their ideas weren't good enough. And they were taking their ideas and almost sort of throwing them away in favour of a slightly improved version, which was now their idea. And there was no credit or recognition being given to that individual whose original ideas sparked all the improvements in the meeting. Are you saying that this wasn't recorded as a supportive behaviour then? No, it wasn't. Um, and it's not because of the intent wasn't there for it to be supportive. It was because that uh, there was no recognition given to the individual that they were supporting their ideas, actions or um, the words. So instead of recording the behaviour as a supportive one, those responses were put down as either giving information or proposing a new idea completely. So what could they have done differently to record a supportive behaviour? Well, it sounds pretty obvious um, and a really simple thing to do, yet too many people tend to neglect to do it. Um, and all that she needed to do was simply to use the person's name in recognition of the fact that they had contributed to the conversation or the idea. That's it. Um, sometimes that's all it takes for people to feel supported um, and for that element of trust to grow between you and the other person. Anyway, we recorded the behaviours um, and what we do is we group them into these three areas. But frequently there is a further set that is overlaid across these three areas. These behaviours are used to control the conversation. So many times our coaches record people talking over others in order to make their point. Now just think about that for a second. If you shut out the words of other people in your eagerness or excitement to make your point, how do you think that is interpreted by the other people? Too often it is viewed by others as making a statement that your point is far more important than anybody else's in the room, which is probably not your intention at all. I mean, the science of what we do is therefore to record the shutting out or the bringing in uh, behaviours, which simultaneously um, exhibit another behaviour, often giving information or seeking information. I mean, sometimes these controlling behaviours are necessary. For example, Sometimes it's necessary to regain control over a meeting that is heading in an unproductive direction with uh, someone who perhaps talks quite a lot. What do you do with the data that you gather from an observation? So we use these scores to provide the person we're coaching with a view of their performance in the meeting. Um, we can even record the behaviours of every single person in the room to show who did what in that meeting. And this means that the coachee can see what their part in a group discussion actually was. And furthermore, we can provide that information as a, um, a photograph, if you like, of uh, what happened in the meeting to the manager so that they can have a, an understanding of what their individual um, does. 
When viewing the scores returned in the meeting, it inevitably creates clarity over areas for the individual to both continue doing well and also areas to work on in the future. And we leave them with a record of their performance so that they can refer to it in the future and make comparisons when we come back to observe them at a future state. So this is how we can highlight any improvements that the individual makes. What level of roles does this approach work for? Well, the beauty of our approach is that it is useful for every level of role in an organisation. From the CEO uh, conducting a board meeting, say, to a manager holding a one-to-one, -one, or a salesperson conducting a client meeting. Um, the advantage of, of the approach, um, as we talked about before, is that it's not my view or the view of those of my colleagues that's recorded. It's simply a record of what happened in the meeting that is the data used to support the development of the individual. The organisations you've worked with, do they ever take this framework and do it themselves? Yes, some organisations have asked us to train managers on the process so that they can observe their own employees. That uh, involves us conducting workshops um, to help them identify and record the behaviours that are being exhibited in the meeting. And as you can imagine, it's quite a skill to listen, identify and record simultaneously. There are a couple of reasons why this is not our preferred option, though. Um, firstly, in our experience, managers are challenged with finding the time to conduct formal coaching like this. I mean, the pressures of reactive work are often just too great, and this falls by the wayside. And that means that the workshop doesn't have the impact that the organisation perhaps hoped for when they asked us to come in, believing that the same improvements would be achieved through uh, their coaching, but at a very much reduced cost, I guess. Unless those observations take place after we leave the company, having trained up the managers, it is a waste of their resources. Um, and the second reason is that of subjectivity that tends to creep into the observations through some form of unconscious bias. I mean, our coaches are independent, we've got nothing to lose or gain from the performance of the individual, and therefore we can record the behaviours completely without prejudice as we see them. Sounds reasonable. So if my company was interested in finding out more about this approach, what should we do? All you need to do is simply go to our website, which is cretiamento.co.uk. That's C-R-E-C-I-M-I-E-N-T-O.co.uk. And our contact details are on there. And we'd welcome a chat with you because we really believe that this style of coaching improves performance at all levels of your organisation.